Amen, dico vogis, quid quid, orantes, petitis, credite quia accipietis, et fiat vogis. Amen, I say to you, whatsoever you ask when you pray, believe that you shall receive, and it shall be done to you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. The ma this Mass of the 23rd Sunday after Pentecost is, to my mind, one of the most consoling Masses of the whole liturgical year. Why do I say this? Is not every celebration of the Holy Sacrifice rich in consolation? Indeed. And all the same, there is in today's Mass something deeply and wonderfully consoling. And who among us here is not in need of some consolation. Now, did you attend to the intro of the Mass? Did you hear it? Not only with your ears, but did you hear it with the ear of your heart? What was the intro to the Mass? It began with these two simple words, Dicit Dominus. The Lord saith, well, with an opening like this, the Lord is about to speak. God is about to say something. We should all be standing on tiptoe with our ears open wide because the intro, it begins with these two words, with this amazing announcement. Dicit Dominus, the Lord saith. Oh, when worldly potentates announce that they are about to make a declaration, it's all over the news media. So-and-so is about to make a statement, a declaration. And people tune in to hear what this earthly potentate has to say. And in today's Mass, it is the King of Kings, God himself, who announces through the church, that he is about to say something, about to make a declaration. What is it? Now, this intro, it is unusual, in that we open today's Mass with a word of God addressed to us rather than with our word addressed to God. More often than not, 
the intro, it is taken from the Psalms, and the Psalms give us the language, the means by which we articulate the prayer of our hearts addressed to God. But in today's Mass, God himself takes the initiative. He speaks first. And so what does he say? He says, Ego cogito cogitationes pacis, et non afflictionis. I think thoughts of peace and not of affliction. What a relief. What joy. What consolation. God tells us what he is thinking. God tells us what he is thinking. I think thoughts of peace and not of affliction. And then he says, You shall call upon me, invocabitis me, and I will hear you, et ego exaudium vos. Now, this little word ego, e-g-o, Whenever we encounter this in the sacred liturgy, in the Bible, it signifies a divine utterance, a word that accomplishes what it announces, a word that is an action at the same time. When God says he does, two are not separated a divine utterance. You shall call upon me, and I, he speaks as God, will hear you. Now, you know that the liturgy is all about connecting the dots, isn't it? To make connections from this part of the Mass to this other part of until, as in a small child's coloring book where you connect the dots, the picture emerges. And so we have to connect the dots. In the intro, it, our Lord says, you shall call upon me and I will hear you. And what will he say to us in the communion antiphon? Did you look ahead? Footnote. I may make one. It's always helpful to open your missiles at home before coming to Holy Mass and have a look at what the Mass contains so that when you come to Mass, you are prepared to hear what God has to say and to receive what God has to give. And so let's look at this connection between the introit and the communion antiphon. In the introit, you shall call upon me and I will hear you. And at communion, 
Amen, I say to you, he continues to speak, whatsoever you ask when you pray, believe that you shall receive, and it shall be done to you. Do you see how the message is seamless? There is perfect continuity between the utterance of the introit and the communion antiphon. Back to the introit. And I will bring back your captivity from all places. We are all of us in some way held captive by our personal histories, held captive by things that happened to us in the past, held captive by lingering resentments, by attachments to things, by hurtful memories, all of these things hold us captive. And this is why I say that today's Mass is so consoling, because if you are in any way captive in your past, the Lord says, I will bring back your captivity from all places. The most Confining captivities are those of the mind, of the thoughts, of the memory. And our Lord says, I will bring back your captivity from all places. Now, the introit prepares us for the collect of the Mass. And what did we pray in the collect? You know, this collect is rather difficult to translate. And I would almost want our resident Latinists in the community to make a good, clear translation of this collect. Because most of the conventional translations don't really put across what the prayer says. It begins with the word absolve, quesumus domine, <clears throat> absolve. Now, if you look at your ordinary missile, it's going to translate that as absolve. Well, that's right. It's not incorrect. But absolve has another meaning, doesn't it, Don Chrysostom? Does it not mean to untie? To untie, which is quite a different thing. The conventional translation says, Absolve, we beseech thee, O Lord, the sins of thy people, delicta populorum. But the meaning of the verb is untie. Untie, we beseech thee, O Lord, the sins of thy people. Now, isn't that revealing? Our sins tie us up constrain us. Now, look at the rest of the collect. 
that we may be delivered or set free. Set free is good because if you untie someone who's bound up, you set that person free. But the Collect says, from the knots, K-N-O-T-S, the knots of our sins. Uta peccator nexibus, nexibus, Untie, we beseech thee, O Lord, the sins of thy people, that being unbound from the knots of our sins, this is what happens when we sin, we tie ourselves up in knots. Which, by our frailty, our fragility, our weakness, now, the Latin says contraximus, and the conventional translation is we have committed. But it's not that. What else does contraximus mean? It means to pull tight, to pull tight. You see, this doesn't come across if you look at your translation of the Missal. You say, oh yes, another one of those prayers. <laughs> It's far more than what meets the eye. So, the prayer is all about the human condition. We tie ourselves up in knots, and by sinning we pull the knots even tighter. And they become so tightly bound up that only a divine hand can untie the knots. And so set us free. Is that not a wonderful collect? Is that not consoling? Sometimes little children, in tying their shoelaces, get all mixed up and pull and pull and make knots that then they can't untie them. And so the little child will go and say, Mama, I've made a bad job of tying my shoelaces. And the mother with patience sets about gently untying the knots and loosening them until the shoes are untied and the child is able to make use of them, put them on and go away for good run. Do you see? We are often tied up in knots, and it takes a divine hand to untie them. Now, all of this is related to the gospel. There are situations that cannot be untied except by a divine hand. And today's gospel gives us a miracle within a miracle. So you have one miracle story being related by the evangelist, and inside that miracle story, there's another miracle story. So you have two uh, episodes, if you will, in one gospel. <clears throat> and the first is 
about <coughs> a certain, the gospel calls him, Ece princeps unus accesi. So it calls him a prince. Well, he would have been someone of, of a certain noble standing. So a man of, of distinction. And this man of distinction is in a terrible state because his little girl has just died and is lying at home dead in her room. And this prince sets out to find Jesus. I love the way the evangelist describes what happens here. Accesit. He came up to him. He came up to him. He didn't speak first. He approached Jesus first. This tells us a lot about prayer. Prayer is not going into the presence of God and immediately blurting out all our needs in a rush of words. The gospel says, Achesi, he approached him. And then, et adorabat eum, and he adored him, and he adored him. This is a little catechism of prayer contained in this gospel. First to draw near, and then to adore, and only after having drawn near and adored does the man begin to speak. And what does he say? Lord, my daughter is even now dead, but come, sed veni, sed veni, but come. How simple this prayer is. He apprises our Lord of the tragic situation, and then he says what all of us must say in our prayer, the little word that sums it all up, veni, but come, but come. Our Lord is touched by this. He says, but come, lay thy hand upon her. Now, the hand of God in the Bible represents the power of God, a divine action, a divine work. But Come, lay thy hand upon her, and she shall live. Now, what happens? Does Jesus answer him? Does Jesus say, my good man, tell me more. Give me some details. Does he even acknowledge what the man has said in words? Not at all. What does Jesus do? It's surgeons. Jesus and Jesus, rising up, followed him. This means, get this, because this is a very important detail in this, in this gospel account. The man approaches Jesus. He adores Jesus. He tells Jesus what the situation is. He says, Veni, but come. Lay thy hand upon my daughter, and she shall live. And then it would seem that without further ado, the man got up, turned around, and started to make his way home. Why do I say this? 
Do you see the faith in that? He doesn't even wait for Jesus to answer. He's so sure, so confident that our Lord is going to respond with compassion and with power that he gets up, turns around, and starts to make his way home. Why do I say this? Because of what the evangelist tells us. And Jesus, rising up, followed him. So for Jesus to be following him, it means that the man, no sooner had he made his petition, got up and started to make his way home. That's faith. That's faith. And so Jesus follows him. And he follows him with his disciples. I, I, I imagine the disciples being rather stunned. And so they begin to follow him. What is he going to do, the master? And this is where there occurs a miracle within the miracle. Jesus <coughs> is on his way. This is an urgent mission. And a little lady, troubled with an issue of blood for 12 years, a poor, suffering woman, what does she do? She comes up behind him. She doesn't stand in front of him and block the way. She knew that Jesus was passing. She could have run out in front of him, I suppose, and said, stop, stop, I have something to ask you. But she doesn't do that. Instead, the evangelist tells us, accesit retro. She came up behind him. You have to picture this. And touched the hem of his garment. So Jesus is walking, and the little lady comes up behind him, and she just touches the hem of his garment. A gesture of immense faith. Now, what is this about the hem of the garment? What does the psalm say? Psalm 132 about the hem of the garment? <coughs> Psalm 132 speaks of uh, the anointing, Aaron's priestly anointing, that confers on Aaron an abundance of priestly power. And the psalm says it runs down his beard and down even to the hem of his garment. The humanity of Jesus, his sacred humanity, is completely invested with divine power. And this little lady knows it. She knows it in her heart. And she goes and she touches the hem of his garment, for by so doing, she has contact with God. With God! with divine power. She doesn't even tug on the hem of the garment to get Jesus' attention. She just wants to touch it. That's enough. Because the whole humanity of Jesus is charged with the power of his divinity, even to the hem of his garment. People know this instinctively, intuitively. Um, if you've ever been to Lourdes, People will go to the grotto and touch 
touch the rock of the grotto. We need to touch to have contact with divine power. People are always eager to touch relics of the saints. And this because the divine power, the virtus of Christ the head, is extended to all those members of his mystical body who are with him in glory and even to the remains of their bodies that we cherish on earth. So people are eager to touch relics right? because by touching a relic, one accesses, if you allow me to use that word, divine power. And so the little lady touches Jesus' garment at the hem, and she said within herself, so the evangelist tells us what she was thinking and doing it, if I shall touch only his garment, I shall be healed. Now, the subtext of this is, that in the synagogues, when the sacred scrolls of the Torah were taken out of the kind of tabernacle that would house them in the synagogue, and when they were carried on the shoulders of the leaders of the synagogue in the midst of the people, it was the custom, the scrolls of the Torah were wrapped in a kind of garment, you see, with fringes and tassels. And the custom among pious Jews was to reach out and touch the garments of the Torah on its passage through the synagogue. So this little lady, she has this liturgical instinct. And that's why she says to herself, if I shall touch only his garment, I shall be healed. And this is not simply the Torah. This is the very word of God, the word made flesh, the second person of the most holy trinity. This is God passing by. But Jesus, turning and seeing her, said, Now, he didn't have to turn to see her. He knew her. He knew her through and through, all her woes, her troubles, her sufferings, her personal history, but he wanted to look at her. Turning and seeing her said, confide filia, trust or have confidence or be of good heart, daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. So this is the little miracle story that's inside the bigger miracle story. And we don't know what happened then, because the evangelist gets on with this account. And when Jesus was come into the house of the prince, and saw the minstrels and the multitude making a tumult. So you see, the mourners were already there, the professional keeners. They were all there. And they were keening, they were carrying on, making a din, as was the custom, to lament the death of the little girl. 
And he said, Clear out! Clear out! Everyone get out! For the girl is not dead but sleeping. <coughs> then we have this tragic word in the gospel. And they made fun of him. And they made fun of him. Jesus is ridiculed. Ridiculed. And when the multitude was put out, he went in. Now, pay close attention to what the evangelist says here. He went in. Did Jesus say a prayer for the resurrection of the girl? No, he didn't. He didn't at all. He went in and took her by the hand. And the girl arose. You see, Jesus here acts in the fullness of his own divine power. Before the resurrection of Lazarus, he prayed. He prayed to his father to manifest the power of his filial and sacerdotal prayer. Acting as son and priest, he prayed to the father to manifest the supreme, infallible efficacy of his prayer. But here, Jesus acts in his own power. He went in and took her by the hand, and the maid arose. It's a real resurrection. And the fame thereof went abroad into all that country. So it's an extraordinary gospel that we're given today, one full of consolation. And we go to the offertory antiphon, and the offertory antiphon sums up for us the prayer of the prince asking Jesus to raise his girl from the dead and the prayer of the little lady who was infirm for 12 years and all of our prayers as well because at the offertory we shall sing from the depths have I cried out to thee, O Lord, from the depths of my misery, of my life all tied up in knots, from the depths of all of the things that hold me a prisoner in the past. From the depths I have cried out to thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my prayer. From the depths have I cried out to thee, O Lord. So do you see how the offertory antiphon takes us back into the gospel and gives us the substance of the prayer of the two principal protagonists in the gospel. And then we come to the communion antiphon which, as I showed you a few moments ago, must be linked up to the promise in the intro. It. What will we sing during the communion? Amen, I say to you, whatsoever you ask when you pray, believe that you shall receive, as did the prince when he prayed for his daughter, as did the little lady who was infirm. Believe that you shall receive, et fiet vovis, and it shall be done to you it shall be done to you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.